Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. I'll be reading from Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home, at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke. We are reading in the third chapter, verses 7 through 18. 3, 7 through 18, John the Baptist. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. 
I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So third Sunday of Advent, third Sunday, almost there, friends, another couple of weeks. Christmas is descending upon us. We see that three out of our four candles of preparation have been lit, and we're getting closer to the coming of the Christ child. Do you feel it? Is it too warm? Is it too overwhelming? Is it, are you in the spirit? Are you in the zone? Debbie said she was having a little trouble feeling it. Uh, I, I too am not, I can't, I can't listen to the 24-7 Christmas stations until about two weeks ahead of time, which we're getting into the zone about now. It's the same 12 or 13 songs done in about a thousand different ways by a million different artists. Great, when we get there. I don't know if I'm there yet. Well, preacher, where, where are we? Where is Jesus being born? Not yet. I know it's been a tough journey, uh, scripturally speaking. For the past several weeks, there's been a lot about the second coming, a lot about this dual track that we are waiting for Christ to be born as we celebrate that, but also for Christ to come the second time for the second coming. There's a lot of better be ready. We don't know when the master will return. And today, really last week and this week, it's all about John the Baptist. Why John the Baptist? Because he is the precursor to the Messiah. He really has a simple job, although he, his role was many. He was to precede the Messiah and point others toward him. So that's this passage today. We have John the Baptist. What do we know about John the Baptist? He was kind of this crazy guy who lived in the wilderness, had animal skins and ate locusts and wild honey. We know as a child, we saw Elizabeth and Zechariah this morning, his parents, who came and a miraculous conception with him as well. And John the Baptist is about, we think, six months ahead of Jesus. We also think that Elizabeth and Mary were some kind of relation, maybe cousins, maybe a little closer, we're not sure. But one of the things that happens when Mary finds out she's pregnant, as an unwed mother trying to convince Joseph and her family that this is a Holy Spirit thing, one of the first things she does is get out of town. She heads to the hill country to go to see who? See Elizabeth, her cousin, her uh, Ken, her friend, who was already pregnant. When she arrives, that's when John the Baptist jumps in her belly to celebrate as if there was knowledge already that she carried someone special, this Messiah coming. So later, John the Baptist is the one in the wilderness. It is that voice that we assign 
to him and even nowadays to those who have that prophetic voice. Often it is outside of our traditional Christian track. When we say people have prophetic voices, often it is because they're coming from another angle, another place, coming outside of our own tradition to say words that are stark, that are uh, surprising, that are even revolutionary. John has this voice. Now, we hear many voices in our society, many prophetic voices, both within the church and without. I'll give you two quick stories of two voices. So one time in my last church in Tallahassee, our men's group would occasionally get together to build ramps for those who are in kind of lower income uh, houses or trailers. In this particular case, the lady was in a wheelchair, could not walk at all. And so we had gone, we said we, we would take a Saturday, get all the materials and go and build her a ramp. And so before we started, and it was it felt like 120 degrees. It was a miserable hot day. Everybody was out there. And before we get started, uh, a friend whose name is Jack, he said, preacher, why don't you just heal this woman and we can all go home? <laughs> to which, of course, I said, well, I don't want to take the opportunity for these men to serve Christ and this particular lady. That is one voice. Another story, yesterday, I was at Everything Music here in Columbus getting my guitar, getting new strings, and getting it all, all fixed up for the breakfast this morning, and I overheard one of, of the store employees talking to another man, and he said, How, how's your time been? How's it been? And he said, oh, it's been, been amazing. Uh, that we started this church a few years ago, and, um, you know, I, I went, and it's just been a year, but I, I can't tell you how, how uh, powerful and transforming it's been. So I'm overhearing with one ear as I'm looking at all the guitars. And um, so we leave about the same time and I chase him down. And I said, hey, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, my name's Danny Deeth. I'm the pastor at First Presbyterian. And I couldn't help but overhear um, some of your missionary work. And I want to thank you for, for going out and doing what you're doing. And, and I said, now tell me where you are. He said, I'm in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I said, I've been there for about a year. This church came into existence about five years ago. And he, he lives in Phoenix City. His first name is John. Hmm. And I said, well, well how's it going? Is it what you thought it would be? And he said, by no means. He said, it's a church of about 250 people. And again, they just started a few years ago. And he said, but there are over 60 nationalities that are represented combined in that one service. I said, how in the world do you make that work? I mean, what language do you use? Is everybody, are they figuring? He said, the only way we exist and survive is by claiming our unity in Christ. And he was overcome with that, as was I. The only way this small church of over 60 different nationalities can survive is to focus on the one thing that unites them, and that is Christ. Now, we too are a diverse people. 
There are many here. We all come from different traditions, different contexts, different backgrounds, different thoughts, different experiences, different levels of theological understanding and journey, or maybe none at all. You are all welcome here. And we too seek to be united in Christ. But I could not share that as we were talking about prophetic voices. His was one that is a voice coming from the wilderness to proclaim that Christ has come and will continue to come. And John's voice, John the Baptist, was one that was rough. Imagine all of us, all of you gathered at the river to come be baptized by John the Baptist. You took time out of your day. You went and met him at the river specifically to be baptized. And he didn't say, oh, so great to see everybody. Take a second and let's greet one another and let's all shake hands and welcome one He said, you brood of vipers. I know you. And they stayed and they continued to listen. And he went on through the passage and convicts them in the next point. He says, I know what you're doing. He says, all of you Israelites, you're resting on your bloodline. In other words, they're saying, well, I, I can come to be baptized, or maybe I don't need to be baptized, because we're from the house of Israel. Abraham is our descendant. We're in. Check. And he says, absolutely not. You can no longer sit and rely on your bloodline, your ancestry, to get baptized, to be a part of this new Messiah movement that is coming. Kind of in a smaller sense, it's what we say about confirmation. There's no doubt that when we are younger, when we are children, when we have children, the faith of those children often reflects the faith of the parents. Rightfully so. But at some point, we ask those youth to claim faith for themselves. They give statements of faith as part of their confirmation process. They come before the sessions and they answer questions of faith. All of that is in an attempt after a year long of study for them to say, well, it's not just that I'm uh, this family or a member of this family or that family because we've been, we've been Christians for a long time, so am I, am I good? Am I good? No. It's about you claiming your own faith. It's about you standing up and say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out, but I believe this and I believe this, and I will continue to grow and work on other aspects of that. John is convicting them to say, just because Abraham is your descendant, you still have to work. You still have to participate. It's not all about belief. It is about behavior as well. And so now three groups come up and respond to John. The first group is the crowd. A crowd comes. And, and let's, just for reference, look at the bulletin cover. Beautiful piece of art right here. Um, if you look at it, you see John the Baptist up high. You see several groups of people sitting around. You see what will be reflected as tax collectors in the foreground, you see Pharisees sitting down, dressed in white in the striped clothing, and you see soldiers right there. That's who John is addressing at this time. So the crowd says, well, okay, John, what do we have to do to be baptized? And he says, well, if you have two coats, 
Give one to somebody who doesn't have one. Okay? And then he says, and if you have food, share that with somebody that doesn't have food. Okay? That's the crowd. That's the first group. Second group is the ta- are the tax collectors. Second group is the tax collectors. And tax collectors despised because they exploit. They collect more than is legal. They make a living off of taking more money than they should for those who don't have money to give. They are despised. And the tax collectors say, what, what can we do to be baptized? And baptism runs all the way through this, mentioned four times. It's at the core of all this conversation. What must we do as tax collectors to be baptized? And he says, uh, don't take more than you're supposed to. And then the third group, the soldiers. The soldiers come and they say, well, what, what do we need to do, John? And he says, don't exploit people for their money. Don't use fear. Don't use um, intimidation or threats to exploit money. So the second two are really about money and fairness as it pertains to wealth. So those three groups, John says what he said. Not to anyone there did he say, you have to go to temple four out of five, month, four out of five days in, in a month. He didn't say you have to go and recite the Torah. He didn't mention temple sacrifice. He didn't mention all of the things that we know are that at, at the core of the faith that we still claim as a part of our Christian journey. His focus here is specifically on caring for others and treating others with respect. Right in the middle of John the Baptist being all crazy and repent, repent, take care of one another. That's how you enter into your baptism. That's how you prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And so those three groups... And that group that was standing behind Abraham on the bloodline, they were all hiding. They all seemed to be hiding behind something. The first group was their family connection with Abraham. Crowd was there. They were hiding behind who they were and what they were there to do. Tax collectors were hiding behind their vocation, as were the soldiers. The question for today for us is what are we hiding behind that keeps us from being able to repent or to prepare for the coming of Christ? Now, repent, I know it comes with luggage nowadays because that's one of those crazy Christian, crazy preacher, prophetic voice words that we don't like. We don't like it because it was back in the crazy Christian days, but also it means we have to do something. Repent means to turn back to God. If you want to substitute that word for coming home, coming home in Christ, you can do that just the same. God sent us Christ so that we would have a way home, a way back to God and God's kingdom in this life and the next. And repentance is the way that we do that. We, we all know, I don't have to tell you, we know that we have things that we do that we think or that we don't do, things in which we work, in ways that we don't work, 
that are obstacles to our, our walk with Christ. This is John the Baptist saying that in this preparation, our job is to figure out how to come home, how to get closer. We can't wipe it all out, but we can take steps to target certain behaviors, certain thoughts, our complacency, whatever it is that we know keeps us from fully trusting in Christ and giving ourselves to God. John says, come on. The time is now. Christ is almost here. So where are we in that journey? Do we pretend like we can hide from God and from Christ? I think we do. But this isn't the time to hide. It is the time to seek. Because in the seeking we will find, and in the finding we will be transformed. So, why the pink candle today? All this repentance, that sounds like not so happy or joyful. It sounds like work I have to do. The joy is that we can come home through Christ, and the joy is that God doesn't incur upon us the wrath that we deserve from our rebellious and sinful nature. The joy is that we have a Savior who walks with us in this life and the next, and he is about to be born into this world and change it from that first day that he was born and every day since. No more loneliness, no more sacrifices need to be made. Our Messiah has come. We may feel alone and in the dark and broken, and we may look at the world and see that it is full of hatred and violence, but yet the light will never be overtaken by the darkness. And it is this imagery that comes as we prepare on this pink candle day of joy to pivot, to start to look toward the manger. So what are we being called to do? We're being called to look at those obstacles that would separate us, that keep us from repenting and coming home to Christ today. We are being called to lift up and realize that John tells them the best way that you can prepare is to care for one another. In this particular verse, it is social justice over ceremony and ritual. You don't throw the other out, but in this case, John is specific several times through this passage. So let us continue to walk forward to embrace the joy of this journey for your Messiah is getting ready to come or come again. And our joy is to be a part of this, to call ourselves children of God and to build his kingdom. Let us go forward and with courage, with weakness, with joy, in contemplation, let us sit and find a moment of every day where we can be with Christ and with one another. And there we will find him, there we will be found, found, and there we can stop hiding in the moment that we seek. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.